Erin Patterson, the Aussie woman who was accused of killing three people via a beef wellington, has pleaded not guilty. We have everything you need to know from Australia. For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Warning. This podcast is about the Lauren Dickerson trial and covers multiple issues that many will find upsetting, including suicidal thoughts and the death of young children. Help is available. See the episode notes for details. Hi, I'm Michael Wright, back in the hot seat, and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called In Her Mind, The Trial of Lauren Dickerson. Dickerson, of course, has been headline news this week after she was convicted of the murder of her three daughters. The story is by press journalist Martin Van Banen, who attended every day of Dickerson's four-week trial. There was no dispute that Dickerson had killed her daughters. The question centred around her frame of mind at the time of the killings and whether she knew what she was doing was morally wrong. The jury of eight women and four men reached a majority verdict on Wednesday, August the 16th, that Dickerson was guilty on all three counts of murder. Martin, welcome. Hello, Michael. Uh, So there was a lot to this trial, as anyone who's following it will know. Uh, Just talk us through, firstly, what verdicts were available to the jury here. The jurors uh, had to choose from one of four verdicts. Uh, The first was guilty of murder. Um, If it wasn't that, they could have come up with the verdict of not guilty of murder, but guilty of infanticide. The third choice was an act of murder is proved, but Dickinson is not criminally responsible because of insanity. The last one was the act of infanticide is proved, but Dickinson is not criminally responsible due to insanity. So there's a lot to unpack there several different charges in play, lots of options for the jury. This was special in that right, this trial. So let's unpack it a bit. Firstly, let's deal with the uh, insanity, for example, because in this case, am I right in saying the burden of proof switches to the defence in that case? That's right. With an insanity defence, the onus is on the defence to show on the balance of probabilities that Lauren Dickerson was so affected by her disease of the mind that she could not appreciate the wrongness of her actions. And infanticide, that's a somewhat archaic term that we might not all be familiar with. So just talk us through what what that is firstly and how it applied in Dickerson's case. Infanticide is a crime under the Crimes Act and is uh, designed to deal with mothers who kill their children after childbirth or pregnancy. So the elements are a disorder of the mind or an imbalance of the mind. And if that's shown, then the actions have to have some sort of connection with that uh, state of mind. If that's shown, then a jury can say a defendant is not criminally responsible to the fullest extent. Right. So it's not the same as insanity per se, but again, it applies to the fact that a person can be found not criminally responsible because they are affected in their mind some way. Well, they can be found criminally responsible, but not guilty of murder. So there is a a punishment. The Act carries a sentence for infanticide of up to three years in jail. So it's still a, a crime and a sentence will follow. All right. Thanks, Martin. Let's hear how the jury got there. Here is Martin, and I should stress a warning here for content, reading his story in her mind. 
the trial of Lauren Dickerson. The twins arrived for their first day at the Kimaru Christian Preschool on September the 16th, 2021, well prepared. Their hair was brushed into neat pigtails and their bags were immaculate with wipes, labelled lunchboxes, nappies, bottles and a change of clothes. They were signs of an organised, caring mother determined to make a good impression on the preschool whose values are love and grace through servanthood truth and perseverance. Carla and Maya Dickerson, a few months off three, had a settled day, looking after each other, interested in the other children and having a good afternoon sleep. Preschool teacher Bronwyn Davies sent their mother, Lauren Dickerson, 42, a photograph of her two happy girls eating their lunch. Great to hear, Dickerson replied. The preschool closed at 2.30pm. Within five hours, the girls were dead. Along with their sister, Liane, six. They had first been strangled with cable ties and then smothered with a towel. The killer was their mother. She then tried to kill herself by overdosing on various medications, but was found by her husband, Graham, in a zombie-like state standing in the kitchen when he returned home. It's too late, she said. Davies would soon be asked about her interaction with Dickerson. She remembered meeting her the day before the children started at the preschool. I said, you look so calm. She said, you should see me inside, Davies reported. What was happening inside Lauren Dickerson's mind when she killed her children, was the main issue for her murder trial, which started in the depths of a Christchurch winter on July 17. Dickerson had spent almost all of the last two years in a secure unit in Christchurch's Hillmorton Hospital, formerly called by the more optimistic name of Sunnyside. She was defending three charges of murdering her children between 7pm and 9.40pm in a townhouse provided for the family by the South Canterbury District Health Board, which had employed Dickerson's husband, Graham, an orthopaedic surgeon. The family arrived in Timaru on September the 11th, 2021, after two claustrophobic weeks in managed isolation in an Auckland hotel, after landing in New Zealand on August the 28th. Dickerson, always thinking of future hazards, had brought her own vacuum cleaner in her luggage so she could keep the hotel rooms clean. The jury of eight women and four men were tasked with answering some onerous questions. Before the jury considered whether Dickerson was insane, jurors had to decide whether Dickerson qualified for the defence of infanticide. The question for the jury was whether the Crown had negated the defence that Dickerson's mind at the time of the offending was so disordered by the effects of childbirth nearly three years before that she should not be held fully responsible. A verdict of infanticide would expose Dickerson to a prison sentence of no more than three years. The jury could also find the Crown had established the act of infanticide but that Dickerson was not criminally responsible 
due to insanity. The defence said Dickerson's mental illness could be traced back to the postpartum depression suffered after each of her pregnancies. The Crown said, while it agreed Dickerson was suffering from a major depressive episode at the time she killed her children, she was not suffering from a disorder of the mind due to childbirth. In New Zealand, everyone charged with an offence is considered sane. Dickerson admitted killing the girls, but claimed she was suffering from a disease of the mind which meant she did not appreciate the wrongness of her actions. In other words, she thought she was doing the right thing and was therefore insane. She claimed her circumstances had become so unbearable that in her severely depressed state, she decided to end her life. Because in her mind, she couldn't leave her girls behind to suffer the defects of her bad mothering and the cruelty of a harsh world. She felt compelled to take them with her. In academic terms, it was called an altruistic motive. Under the law, the onus was on Dickerson to convince the jury it was more likely than not she was insane at the time of the offending. The Crown, in essence, said that while she was ill, she was not ill enough to qualify for the defence of insanity. Dickerson's mental state would require a deep look at her personality. She did not have the temperament for an easy road in life. Highly intelligent, anxious and always aiming for perfection, she was at the same time mercilessly self-critical. Although academically successful, she found her boarding school traumatic and was suffering from depression and anxiety by the time she was 15. Her mental health improved when she studied at the University of Cape Town Medical School and she met her husband in 2005 when they both worked at a rural hospital where Graham was doing specialist training. The committed Christians married in 2006 and were very happy, Graham helping her to manage her anxiety and depression. They started trying to have a family in 2008 and eventually it became clear they would need the help of IVF treatment. After six or seven treatments, she would have 16 in all, Dickerson became pregnant with a baby girl the couple called Sarah. The pregnancy was complicated and after about 20 weeks, Dickerson was devastated to give birth to what she described as a dead fetus. A close family member said she was never the same again. The couple continued with IVF, this time with donor eggs, and Liane was born in September 2014. Dickerson initially struggled as a first-time mother and received help for postpartum depression in 2015. Despite these battles, she impressed as a caring, dedicated, if slightly neurotic mother. Previously a general practitioner, she began working part-time as a surgical assistant for Graham and also ran his practice. Three years after Liane's birth, Dickerson wanted to try IVF again and using different donor eggs became pregnant with Carla and Maya, who were born in November 2018. Postpartum depression resurfaced, although she had help, at least initially, from a day nanny and a separate night nanny. As with Liane, she had trouble bonding with the twins, and after the killings, she told police 
She never felt the instantaneous love for their children that mothers talked about. I never really experienced it with my kids. Like, I don't know what people are talking about, so then I thought there was something wrong with me for not feeling that, and I did the best I could, she said. The family lived in the upmarket Moycliffe Heights in Pretoria East, a gated community protected by an electrified perimeter fence and patrolled by armed security guards. The sections were generous and the houses spacious with multiple bathrooms and living areas. Housekeepers and gardeners were the norm. In 2019, the couple decided to emigrate. Dickerson was increasingly anxious about the political unrest and crime in South Africa, and the couple wanted a safer future for their young family. I hate living in this country at the moment. Can't see us raising our kids here with any chance of a future, she messaged a friend. Graham began applying for jobs in New Zealand, landing one in January 2020 at the hospital in Timaru, where there was already a community of South African immigrants, including many South African doctors. They hoped to be in Timaru by June, and by February 2020 had conditionally sold their house. I'm going to New Zealand with a happy, positive outlook, she told a friend. Graham told family, we both believe that this is what God has in store for us. In March 2020, COVID was rife, and the South African government ordered a series of lockdowns of varying severity. Graham continued working, and Dickerson was left to attend to immigration details, the shift to New Zealand, and dealing with the children. In April, she told a friend, every morning and during the day is like wartime with my depression. In the same month, the family lost its nanny. The next year was full of frustrations, tough times with the children, COVID battles, and the moving goalposts of immigration. There were fights with Graham over parenting methods, and she felt her antidepressants were no longer working. However, in March 2020, things began looking up for Dickerson, with the immigration process gathering speed and success with a wellness fitness program. She stopped all her antidepressant and anxiety medication and said she was enjoying the children. The fact she was off antidepressants would look better for her immigration application, she believed. She had periods of joy and euphoria, but also times of tearfulness, distress and panic attacks. By the end of June 2021, she was, as she told a friend, emotionally done. She cried every day and life was, in her words, shit. In July 2021, a number of stress factors, including dread of impending immigration and not getting a break from the children, left Dickerson increasingly despairing. At times she felt a failure as a mother and wondered what damage she was doing to her children. Riots and looting in Pretoria in the same month, prompted by the jailing of former South African President Jacob Zuma, rendered her a nervous wreck. She insisted she and Graham sleep with a 9mm pistol beside the bed and would later say an incident during the riots when the power went out had such an impact on her she never felt normal again. Due to the nausea from stress, she had lost a lot of weight, leaving her looking skeletal, as she described it. She began having thoughts of harming the children. 
thoughts that weren't entirely foreign. In May 2019, the couple sought help from a psychiatrist when she had similar thoughts, but they hadn't recurred. But in early August 2021, she told Graham that images of sedating the children and cutting their femoral arteries had popped into her mind. According to Dickerson, Graham, who believed all would come right if he could only get the family to New Zealand and the children in school, became angry, shouting, and punching the bed. With departure just around the corner, she needed to put her big girl panties on, he said. After Graham's reaction, she said she felt unable to confide in him again. On August the 5th, with Packers due the next day, she lay on the bed for four hours looking at the ceiling. With thoughts in my head, I can't put into words, she told a friend. My mental health is the shittest it's ever been. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tad to you about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, that, I think it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing affair there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Today on Newsable, we go inside the courtroom where Erin Patterson pleaded not guilty to murder charges related to that infamous Beef Wellington lunch. Plus, why it's a good time to be a first home buyer and the diss battle between Kendrick Lamar and Drake. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. In the weeks before the flight to New Zealand on August 26th, the family moved to Graham's mother's house and the pressure mounted with Dickerson feeling she was being judged by her mother-in-law who urged her not to be weak and think of Graham and the children. In late August, she saw cable ties lying around the house and the ugly thought they could be used to harm the children came to mind. What the hell are you doing, she told herself when she fashioned the ties into a necklace. She didn't tell her husband, who noticed her withdrawing into herself with no conversation. On August the 20th, she made internet searches about overdosing children and then deleted them. After arrival in Auckland on August 28, the family spent two weeks in the Novotel Hotel. Dickerson described it as hell on earth, although she told one friend the elephant that had been smothering her was off my chest. Graham and I feel our marriage has gone through a huge earthquake, she messaged a friend. By September 11, 2021, the family were in Timaru. Dickerson did not find much in the South Canterbury Centre to lift her dire mood. It was cold, with snow on the mountains, and under her dark gaze, the people were unkempt, the children sad, and the rental housing they looked at creepy. A visit to Pack and Save took on a nightmarish sheen with her bleak eye picking out dishevelment, tattoos, mullets, bad teeth, a predominance of elderly and people shopping in pyjamas. She rebuffed or ignored offers of social contact from the wives of other doctors who would work with Graham, including an offer to keep her company when Graham was out on September the 16th. She felt overwhelmed by further requests from Immigration New Zealand 
for specialist reports on her mental health and Carla's cleft palate. An attempt to get a fresh psychiatric report would see her locked up, she thought. September the 16th, 2021 was her first day in many months without children. Liane had started at Timaru Christian School the day before. Graham took photographs, which would be shown to the jury, of Dickerson combing Liane's hair as she sat on the floor and of Liane in her new school uniform standing outside the house beside her mum. After dropping the children at school and preschool, she went home, tidied up and went to bed with a hot water bottle, ruminating on the terrible mistake she thought she had made in coming to New Zealand. The children were difficult after being picked up from school and a walk in the park near their townhouse with the family made her more depressed. A girl approached her to say a dodgy man or boy was taking photographs. New Zealand was supposed to be safe. The children ate a good dinner and were watching television when Graham went out about 7pm to join colleagues at a restaurant where they met each month to discuss a medical article. According to Dickerson, the children, who had been quietly watching television when Graham left, began playing up, throwing things around, pulling clothes out of cupboards and jumping on the couches. She screamed at them, but they didn't listen. It triggered something in her, she would later tell police. As she came back from the bathroom, she saw the time was 7.20pm and also noticed the lunchboxes on the bench that needed to be prepared for school. Her overwhelming thought, she later said, was she could not do another day. According to her later accounts to psychiatrists, she then decided to end her life and take the children with her. She remembered seeing the cable ties that Graham had bought earlier in the week to secure power cords around the house. The idea of ringing Graham did not occur to her, she later said. She killed the children over the course of some 20 minutes and put them to bed with their toys and comforters and told them she loved them. Then I decided I had to do something with myself, she told police in an interview the next day. She took as many medications as she could find in the house and did not expect to wake up. When Graham returned home about 9.40pm, she was still conscious and standing groggily in the kitchen with a strange expression on her face. As Graham rushed to the children, she went to lie on Liane's bed and was later able to walk to the ambulance with assistance. When she woke up in hospital, she was devastated to be alive, she would say. Before she was discharged the next day, she was charged with murder. Many graphic and disturbing details around how the girls died were suppressed by Justice Cameron Manda because of the distress they would cause family members if made public. The trial had to put Lauren Dickerson's mental state under the microscope. The jury was presented with a plethora of evidence. Dickerson's first interview was with Timaru detective Michael Kneebone at about 5pm after her discharge from hospital on the day after the offending. He was encouraging, confirming, solicitous and sympathetic. He was keen to get her something to eat and ordered a chicken sandwich from Subway. It was mentioned so often during the interview, without it materialising, 
that Defence Counsel Karen Beaton Casey asked him if the subway was a filler so police could regroup. To be perfectly honest, I was waiting for it to turn up, he said. The police would be criticised for interviewing a severely unwell woman, still in shock and probably still suffering the effects of her overdose. Dickerson was then interviewed by five mental health specialists over the year and a half between the offending and the trial date. The interviews totaled about 50 hours. The four forensic psychiatrists and a clinical psychologist each wrote extensive reports, often more than one each, explaining why they reached their opinions. They each spent long periods in the witness stand. Family members gave evidence about her mental health history, and the jury also had about 900 social media messages from Dickerson to her husband and friends, providing clues to her thoughts and feelings. They revealed a mother frustrated with her children's behaviour, often at her wit's end, and fretting about how the children had taken over her life at the expense of her marriage. Her still grieving husband also gave evidence. The jury heard about her early life, her marriage, her infertility, and her struggles with anxiety and depression. Her character and mental health history were minutely dissected and analysed. The evidence revealed a woman who might have had difficulty bonding with her children, but who still loved them, worried excessively about their safety, and met their every need to a high standard. She was a helpful friend, a class mum to the twins' preschool, and, according to Graham, the best of the best as a mother. At the trial, four psychiatrists and a clinical psychologist gave evidence. The Crown experts were outnumbered three to two. The experts all agreed Dickerson was suffering from a major depressive disorder, a diagnosis based on suicidal thoughts, feelings of worthlessness and guilt, and persistent low mood at the time she killed the children. The disagreements revolved around whether the mental illness meant she didn't appreciate the moral wrongness of what she was doing, and whether her mental state could be traced back to childbirth. The mental health experts generally had the same information, although each of their interviews elicited different aspects of the offending and Dickerson's history. They all had access to each other's opinions. Clinical psychologist Razi Metwi achieved the strongest rapport with Dickerson over nine interviews, totaling 20 hours. His interviews produced more detail and self-reflection than the others. However, even to him, she did not volunteer searching the internet on overdosing children and that she used a kitchen knife in a failed attempt to end Liane's life more quickly by cutting a femoral artery. During the trial, all the experts were criticised for not giving sufficient weight to some aspects of the evidence, for being either too sympathetic or too sceptical towards Dickerson, and of seemingly dismissing information that could have led them to a different conclusion. They had either not challenged Dickerson enough, or were too probing. They were chastised for interviewing her too soon after the offending, or too late, and for not testing their conclusions or seeking clarification by re-interviewing her. At one end of the range was Dr Eric Monasterio, who was clearly swayed by Dickerson's angry social media messages about the children, and the fact she did not disclose thoughts of killing the children for altruistic reasons until his fourth interview 
with her in April 2022. He was strongly opposed to an insanity defence, although left the door open to infanticide, and was the most sceptical of her statement she thought she was acting in the children's best interests. At the other end was American forensic psychiatrist Susan Hattis Friedman, a world-renowned researcher on filicide and postpartum depression who thought Dickerson was so severely depressed she had formed delusions, such as New Zealand being unsafe, which was further evidence she did not appreciate the wrongness of her actions. Dickerson, she said, fitted the profile of women who killed their children out of love, believing their children would be better off out of a cruel world. Perhaps the most interesting view was that of psychiatrist Simone McLeavy, who agreed with Monasterio that the defence of insanity was not available to Dickerson and theorised Dickerson killed her children mainly because she couldn't face the idea of her children having another mother if Graham remarried after her death. Her actions were a manifestation of control, she said. Forensic psychiatrist Justin Barry Walsh told the jury Dickerson loved her children and had never acted violently towards them before, but something had pushed her to do an extraordinary and extreme thing on the night of the offending. She, in an appallingly methodical way, killed all three. What makes sense is this woman was depressed, and she was getting more depressed. She got to a point where she could see no point in carrying on. At the same time, she decided her children were better off dead, and it was that appalling, inexorable logic that drove her to kill the children, he said. There was no evidence, he said, of the extraordinary level of anger that would be required for Dickerson to have killed her children. Under cross-examination, all the mental health experts stuck to their guns. Fortunately, the jury did not have to decide who was right. Their task, as mentioned, was more nuanced. They had to decide if the Crown had left no reasonable doubt about infanticide and whether the defence had shown that it was more likely than not that Dickerson was insane. The defence claimed all the evidence led to the inevitable conclusion that Dickerson was insane when she took her children's lives. And if she was not insane, she was at the very least affected by postpartum depression to such an extent she was not criminally responsible for her actions on September the 16th and therefore qualified for infanticide. The defence said Dickerson struggled with depression and anxiety all her adult life and after her pregnancies faced the added complications of postpartum depression, a condition recognised by research as making some mothers want to harm their children. Postpartum depression was known to last for years and was still playing a major role in her mental health on September the 16th, the defence said. All the evidence pointed, it said, to a drastic worsening of Dickerson's mental state in July and August 2021 as the family prepared to leave South Africa. Numerous stresses began to erode the fragile mental well-being she had talked about earlier in the year and thoughts of harming the children arose. By the time the family arrived in Timaru, after two stressful weeks in managed isolation, Dickerson was running on empty. And when the children acted out 
On September the 16th, she was already feeling profoundly hopeless about life and could see no worthwhile future for herself or for the children, the defence said. In her disordered mental state, she believed she and the children were an encumbrance to Graham and removing herself and the children would do him a favour. She chose cable ties to kill the children because she didn't want to leave a mess for Graham to clean up as he had to go to work on Monday. That deluded thinking was symptomatic of an insane person, the defence claimed. It was, as she told a psychiatrist, supposed to be a happy ending and the right thing to do. That motivation, the defence said, was well recognised by research into why mothers who were suffering from postpartum depression killed their children. The final dreadful step was taken by a loving mother who had never previously abused her children but who was overwhelmed by her distorted and hopeless outlook. Her credibility was unimpeachable, the defence said. She was nothing but cooperative and open with all the mental health specialists and the police. She was the one who provided the ammunition that was being used against her. Her inconsistency implied honesty rather than backtracking, the defence said. Had she not been depressed, Beaton told the court, the killings would not have happened. To suggest she lashed out in an angry outburst and killed her children in such a methodical way when all she had done previously was give the children a smack on the bottom was untenable. The level of anger required to kill three children was just not present. Although her police interview might have suggested she only thought about killing herself after she killed the children, she told a psychiatrist soon afterwards that it was always a package deal. Beaton told the jury, the best witness on whether Lauren was the kind of person who, even when angry, could kill her children in this way is her husband. When she told him about these particularly horrible thoughts, you might think he would never have left her alone with them ever again from that point onwards. But he did, because these thoughts were so uncharacteristic of Lauren as a person and a mother. The Crown differed. It said Dickerson was no doubt depressed at the time of the offending, but the best evidence available showed a woman who had long harboured feelings of harming her children when she was under stress. She was horrified by the thoughts and confided in her husband, so must have known the feelings which resurfaced on the night of the offending were wrong. Dickerson, the Crown said, had reacted in anger to the children misbehaving. In that anger and frustration, she had allowed thoughts of killing them to overwhelm her, still appreciating what she was doing was wrong. The murders were premeditated, the Crown said, because Dickerson had thought about killing her children before with various methods, including cable ties. The day before the killings, she sent messages to a friend saying, our kids are driving us crazy. They are wild, cheeky and disobedient. Graham and I are run down. I wish I could give them back and start over. And she told a psychiatrist she had wanted to give them a bloody good hiding Within 24 hours, they were dead, the Crown said. 
The Crown pointed to her statements of being like a wound-up spring, an elastic stretched to breaking point, and a shaken Coke bottle. Her anger was demonstrated by choosing to kill Carla first, because, as she told police, she had been really horrible to me lately. Later, she told a psychiatrist she did not have any particular reason for starting with Carla, but that inconsistency pointed to a woman reformulating her motivation, the Crown said. It rejected the notion Dickerson thought the children were better off being removed from a cruel world and had killed them out of some sort of altruism, even if that motivation was recognised by the medical literature. Dickerson may have talked about that motive to psychiatrists, but hadn't mentioned it to police when interviewed the day after the offending, the Crown said. The idea was introduced by a treating psychiatrist who was trying to help Dickerson explain her actions to her husband. In her remorse, she had come up with a new, more bearable rationale for the offending. The Crown agreed her mind was unbalanced when she killed the children. However, the depression relied on by the defence was not connected to the depression she experienced after giving birth to the children. She had recovered from that depression, and her depressive illness, which recurred around July 2021, was due to the many stresses in her life. Like people who did terrible things when angry, she now felt deep remorse. But there was no getting away from the fact no matter how hard it might be, that she was guilty of murder, the Crown said. Crown prosecutor Andrew McRae ended his closing address with, She knew the moral wrong. She was methodical. She was able to recount what she did to numerous people in crystal clear detail. She did the acts with purpose, and they were deliberate. Once started, the actions of the defendant couldn't be stopped and her haphazard actions to attempt suicide show just how reactive it was. She snapped. Then she realised, what am I going to do? Making sense of a monstrous act fell to the jury, sent to begin their deliberations at 1.55pm on Monday. Dickerson, who suffers badly from the cold, had arrived in court wearing green-blue gloves and a puffer jacket with her hair up and gathered in a short ponytail. She wore pearl-type earrings. Throughout the trial, her personal agony was plain to see. But was it aching remorse for an act she knew at the time was wrong or terrible regret for an insane killing? Perhaps she didn't care too much about what happened to her, in May 2023, she told forensic psychiatrist Justin Barry Walsh she prayed every night she would not wake up in the morning. She just wanted to go home and die because that would be easier on the family and she would be with her girls in heaven. The jury indicated about 2pm on Wednesday they were split 11 to 1 on a verdict. They filed back into the courtroom so Justice Cameron Manda could encourage them to reach a unanimous verdict. Deliberations continued, but the one dissenting juror was not changing their mind. 
A short time later, the jury was back with the majority verdict. And as the jury forewoman pronounced Dickerson guilty of murdering her three children, she stood blank-faced in the dock, looking, if anything, slightly stunned. The immediate grief and tears from lawyers, jurors, family and reporters attested to the enormity of the verdict's implication. Dickerson had been found to have methodically and clinically killed her children knowing she was doing the wrong thing. The jury could have arrived at one of three more nuanced verdicts available to them. What convinced 11 jurors that Dickerson's mental state provided no reasonable possibility or likelihood of insanity or postpartum depression is not known. What is known is they must have preferred the evidence of two psychiatrists called by the Crown and gave less credibility to the opinions of three equally highly qualified mental health experts who gave evidence for the defence. Perhaps the impact of details disclosed in court but forbidden from publication made the difference. Perhaps the jurors thought the police interview with Dickerson about 20 hours after the killings revealed the unadorned and harrowing truth. No one will ever know what exactly was going through Dickerson's mind when she killed her children. But her mental state was exhaustively examined and the findings put to 12 of her peers to reach their own conclusion based on a test set by the law. The shocking answer was that Lauren Dickerson, the loving, overprotective mother, was the murderer of her children. That was In Her Mind, the trial of Lauren Dickerson on The Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Martin Van Bainen and produced by Jen Black. This episode was edited by John Ropier. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on The Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.